Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. We believe that with smart marketing, you can compete with the largest players in your industry. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. Now, today, we're going to be talking about something that many of you probably pay attention to, but need to pay more attention to. I'm going to be joined by Chase Diamond, and we're going to talk about email marketing techniques that can crush your sales in a good way. And when I say crush, I don't mean in a bad way. I mean, like just blow up your business and your sales. You are going to eat this like candy. Trust me. It's absolutely amazing. By the way, if you want to reach me, I am at Stelzner on Instagram. And if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. We've got amazing guests coming your way. I've got a question for you. Did your business transition to e-commerce sales during the pandemic? Are you looking for an easier way to scale your e-commerce sales? If so, you should explore the Wix e-commerce platform. It's an omni-channel solution that manages all of your offline and online customer transactions in a single powerful dashboard. Now all your customer data, sales inventory, delivery and fulfillment, and marketing are powered by a single platform, the Wix e-commerce platform. From a single dashboard, you can manage your CRM, email marketing, SMS marketing, live chat, automation, all customer communications, and more. Plus, Facebook ads by Wix leverages artificial intelligence to learn about your audience and then run and optimize your Instagram and Facebook ads for you. With this one feature alone, Wix e-commerce customers average a 1,000% return on ad spend and 40% have doubled their sales. Join more than 700,000 active Wix e-commerce stores. Here's your next step. Go to Wix.com slash e-commerce and get started creating your store. Again, Wix.com slash e-commerce. You support this podcast by checking out our sponsors. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show 
are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. And now for today's interview with Chase Diamond. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Chase Diamond. If you don't know who Chase is, you need to know who he is. He's an email marketing strategist who helps e-commerce brands grow their business with email. His course is focused on email marketing strategy and execution. His podcast is called E-Commerce Opportunity by Chase Diamond, spelled D-I-M-O-N-D. Chase, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? Did I spell your last name right there or did I mess it up? I, I did. No, I added an E to it. Did I say it right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We pronounce it Diamond. D-I-M-O-N-D. Yeah, I said it right. Okay, good. <laughs> We're going to yeah, keep that in there because you know what? It's worth keeping in there. So today, Chase and I are going to explore how to crush your sales with email marketing. Chase, I heard you on one of my friend's podcasts. You're an absolute genius when it comes to this stuff. But before we get into like the cool email marketing tips and techniques that you're going to be um, exploring with us today, I would love to like back up a little bit and really explore your story. So start wherever you want to start. How the heck did you get into email marketing? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for having me. Excited to be here. My story is a little bit strange. So hopefully people out there kind of can resonate with it. At the age of 13, I got really, really sick. And hopefully they don't resonate with that part, but hopefully they can resonate with the rest of it. Yeah. For close to a year, I kept getting misdiagnoses after misdiagnoses. And finally, I ended up getting diagnosed with what's called Crohn's disease. And Crohn's disease basically is inflammation of your digestive tract. And that ulcerative colitis is formed under what's called IBD, inflammatory bowel disease. About 1 million people in the U.S. have it. So after being frustrated through lack of awareness of this disease, as a 14-year-old, I took it upon myself to raise awareness and fundraising for this disease. And from the ages of 14 to 16, I basically dedicated my life to learning guerrilla marketing to be able to raise awareness and ultimately fundraising for this disease. So it was through like this experience of kind of getting diagnosed with something, being really scary and wanting to make the most of it that I personally found like my love of marketing. And that landed me kind of the youngest board member seat at the Crohn's and Clytus Foundation. Wow. Yeah. So it's sort of a six-year board term there. Real quick on the Crohn's disease thing. Is this something you're with for the rest of your life or is it something you can grow out of? Yeah, unfortunately, it's something that's with me for life. You know, I've been fortunate through medicine and, and doctors to, you know, knock on wood, feel relatively well, though. That's cool. So, okay, continue with the story you got on the board. Keep going. Where were you going with that? Yeah, and then from there, kind of going into college, I had to help pay my, you know, tuition with my parents. We couldn't afford to go to uh, Chapman University, a private school in Orange County. So I had to work, you know, six different jobs and internships. That was on top of playing college soccer, on top of being in a fraternity, on top of being in business clubs, on top of going to school, I was working six different jobs and internships. And it was through these internships that, again, I kind of found this love of marketing. But this time it was different. I was marketing products, communities, and services versus you know a charity or kind of a cause. And really kind of diving into how I learned email, at one of the jobs I had, one of the engineers happened to walk by my desk as I was manually copying and pasting emails. I was sending them one by one, copy, paste, you know, changing someone's name, copy and paste. And he looked at me like I was crazy. 
And he ended up being the one that actually taught me about you know, ESPs or email marketing platforms where I could basically take the same or a similar message and send it out to a group of people instead of doing it just manually one-to-one. And for me, I thought this was like the coolest thing ever. So from, from here, I basically used email marketing extensively at my first couple of jobs out of college on both the acquisition as well as the retention side of things. Um, and I even built an email newsletter. I love email so much that I built an email newsletter business. It was much like the hustle, the skim, and morning brew. And we scaled this from zero to 500,000 subscribers in 10 months. Wow. What was the newsletter about? So it was all about travel. So it was inspiring people to discover the world straight from their inbox. So one of the problems that we saw was all these travel companies created all this cool content, but it was always sponsored by Airbnb or Marriott or Hilton, right? None of it was unbiased. All of it was biased around where these hotels or these companies had really cool you know, destinations type things. So we wanted to take kind of an unbiased thing where we crowdsource tips and tricks from thousands and tens of thousands of locals as well as tourists. So scaled that for you know about 10 months to a year. And most recently, I've been focused exclusively on e-commerce email marketing. So about three and a half years ago, I launched an e-commerce email marketing agency. And ever since, we've sent over a billion emails for our clients and done over 75 million in email revenue. So that's kind of my story of getting thrown into it through the disease, you know, having the jobs internship throughout college to pay for my tuition, and then some of the things I did before starting the, the current agency. So back to the newsletter to the half a million people that were interested in travel. Was this about four years ago or was this further back? I'm just curious. Yeah, exactly. So this was 2017. How in the world did you grow that to half a million? Yeah, so we did actually a couple of unique and interesting things. One was I was looking at the Instagram landscape and you either could A, build account from scratch or B, acquire accounts or C, a hybrid. So we ended up choosing the hybrid where it's actually a lot easier to build something that has kind of scale and some base. So we went out and we, I think we bought about six to seven different Instagram accounts that were viral traveler accounts. We completely wiped the content and kind of did a spin and a brand on it. So every account that we purchased, we ended up tailoring it towards a specific travel niche. So we had an account for people that wanted to stay in luxury hotels. The people wanted to stay in like the, the W's or the Ritz of the world. Those people would follow that account. We then had an account for people that wanted to sleep in their tents and we had it called Tent Diaries. There was also this really kind of community around people that want to sleep in their vans. So we ended up taking like these accounts that were kind of more viral, end up positioning them towards a specific travel interest. And then we ended up kind of building and growing our own uh, newsletter page from those accounts. So I think we ended up acquiring somewhere in the ballpark of about 500 to 600,000 total followers. And by the end of the year, we, we ended up with about 2.2 million followers across about a dozen different accounts. So it sounds like you weren't going after really big accounts. You were going after small ones that were on the way up. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, exactly. And the makeup of like the page owners, the account owner, they were kids that were like in high school that were doing this as a hobby. There may be someone overseas that was just doing this because they love travel and they didn't really have a great way to monetize these. So we were able to pay, you know, $500 here, $1,500 there. So all in, I think we probably spent between eight to 10,000 to acquire about a half a million person type audience. And then you had a special offer that you would give somehow in your bio. Is that the idea? And then that's how you grew the newsletter list? Yeah, so it was a couple things. So uh, definitely had the description in the bio and the link in the bio. Uh, we would feature tons of people within the community on our stories. So they were always sharing and growing that. We'd leverage swipe up stories with the links because we were over the 10,000 follower threshold. And then also too, is we had a tool that allowed us to automatically DM anyone that followed us. 
So Michael, if you followed one of our accounts, we would send you a DM saying, hey, Michael, thank you so much for you know, following this tent account or this luxury account. You know, if you want to learn more about what we're building in our newsletter, drop your email and we'll shoot you a follow-up. So we actually got thousands of emails a week of just people DMing us back saying, hey, here's my email. You know, can you send me the newsletter? Or here's my email. I'd love to join you know, a Facebook group or I'd love to be involved and give feedback on you know, X, Y, and Z destination. So then you started the agency and now what are you doing exactly? Tell us, like, bring us up to the very modern era. Like, who are you helping these days? Like, who's your ideal customer? Yeah, so for right now, I'm a partner at an e-commerce marketing agency and I, in, per- in particular, run our email team. So on the email side, we're working with about 75 seven to nine figure e-commerce brands. Some brands that you would know of like Poopery or Mixed Tiles or Orgain. And a lot of fast growing brands that are seven figure, eight figure brands that you've probably never heard of unless you purchase from them. So running the email kind of retention team there, about 75 clients as mentioned. We have a team of about 40 people across three or four different countries. So most of our employees are here in the US. We also have some folks in Canada as well as Mexico. And we have a small team in the Philippines. So what's the name of that company in case people want to look you up? So the, the agency right now is called Structured Agency. I had an agency called Boundless Labs specifically doing e-commerce email marketing. And about a year and a half ago, we merged with a company that did paid social for e-commerce. So my old agency was Boundless Labs. Theirs was Structured Social. And now we're literally just structured.agency. Awesome. Well, I wanted everybody to understand a little bit of your backstory so they could understand kind of the diversity of the experience, right? You started out when you were really young, basically using email to kind of get the word out about Crohn's disease, right? And then all of a sudden, when you were in college, you got a chance to try out different things. And then you got this travel thing. And then you started your own agency. And now you've merged with another agency. And you've you've really dialed in email marketing. And there's a lot of marketers listening right now, Chase, that are very familiar with Instagram and Facebook and the major socials. But email marketing might not be on their like front of the focus, if you will, right? So what do you want to say to the marketers listening right now who maybe are not as focused on email marketing as they could be? Why should they consider email marketing? Yeah, this is this is exciting. This is going to be a massive opportunity then for folks to hopefully do email more and or better. So I think for, for me, like email first and foremost is really a tried and true channel. It's been extremely effective for you know, my own personal brands and clients' brands since I first started eight, nine years ago. It's not something that's kind of weaned off. It's something that's really consistently been effective. So every month and every year, email consistently for our clients drives around 20% or more of our clients' total revenue. So for seven, eight, nine-figure brands, that's, that's very significant. And for some of our brands, it can even account for as high as 30 to 40% of their total revenue. So kind of with that being said, there's a few things that make email so attractive to me. I think one is the ability to leverage personalization is unparalleled. You can literally communicate with every single individual subscriber on your list at any step in their journey, whether they're pre-purchase and they added something to their cart, whether they're post-purchase and bought from you, sending them a customer thank you. And I promise we'll be able to go deep into some of those automations later. But the ability to personalize the content based off where someone is and the things that they have or haven't done is super important and super feasible with email. That's one. Number two is, is extremely predictable. So in a lot of cases... We're, we're pretty accurately able to forecast what a falling month or a falling quarter is going to look like and kind of going to yield us based on what things look like historically. So we're able to look at week over week, month over month, you know, quarter over quarter and year over year and say, hey, based off the growth of new subscribers, based off the growth of revenue, we think that we'll be able to land at X dollar amount or X percentage of revenue coming from email. 
So it's highly predictable. And then two more things that come to mind is the third is it's very profitable. Your really only costs on the email side after you've paid to acquire them are A, whatever you paid to, you know, for your email platform. So typically based on the number of subscribers you have, um, whether you're using this platform or that platform, that's irrespective. You're typically paying on contact basis. And then any cost of labor. So whether it's an in-house employee, a freelancer, or an agency. So it's extremely profitable in, in a lot of cases. And then the last thing I'd say around the benefits of email is it's very conversion focused. At least with what we do in e-commerce, most people are subscribing to our clients to be able to get some kind of special deal or offer. And when you put the right message in front of the right person at the right time, again, most of us know that as the holy grail of marketing, you're going to be able to convert a portion of your email list. And this just kind of stacks and stacks over time. So for those reasons, that's why I think email has to be part of every e-commerce brand. And in general, most brands you know, stack. Well, and I'll add a couple more thoughts to it, more from a B2B perspective, because that's what we are, a B2B company. Um, first of all, it's own media, right? So you're not having to pay Instagram and Facebook every time you want to be in front of the audience, which makes it exceptionally more economical, as you mentioned already. And it can account for a lot more than 30% of your revenue, <laughs> you know, depending on how you do what you do. For us, email is like our prime source of revenue, right? It is the thing that brings us the most revenue. But we are a media company and we use email to distribute our media. But nonetheless, you know, everyone who's listening and about to listen to all the things Chase is going to be talking about, the truth is that what we're talking about right now is Chase's experience, which is for sure B2C, but it doesn't mean you cannot also apply this B2B. Would you agree with that, Chase? Yeah, absolutely. Whether it's courses, agencies, you know, B2B businesses, I think email, whether it's on the acquisition side, like doing cold email or opt-in email, it's extremely effective. All right. So um, let's start with how do we get people's email in the first place? Um, so let's say we've got prospects or future customers. Um, how do we get their emails? Because I'm sure a lot of people are wondering about that. Yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of ways. But for me personally, with where I spend my time, which with emails really middle kind of bottom of the funnel, the main way that we grow our list is through email collection forms. And there's a few types of forms. There's A, pop-ups, B, flyouts, and C, embedded forms. And pop-ups are the most common. So I'm going to focus the most of my kind of effort and talk on that there. But I want to quickly explain each one. So a pop-up does exactly what it sounds, and it usually takes over a portion or all of your screen. A flyout is a little bit less obtrusive, and it usually takes over kind of a small section of your screen, let's say on the bottom right-hand screen of your corner. It definitely takes a little bit less real estate. And then from there, there's like the embedded form. And that's typically static on your website, usually at the bottom of your website or within some kind of blog post. So that's kind of the main Forbes. But let's talk about pop-ups and kind of each type of pop-up and kind of offer has some kind of way that it performs. So based on what we've seen, I'm going to talk through the three different types of offers or kind of incentives and how each one typically performs based on my own data. So the first is just simply sign up. So something like a sign up to our list, get our latest and greatest offers and new releases, that truthfully really is not that exciting. And that's going to typically see about 1% to 2% of people giving you their email. So for every 100 people that visit your website, you can expect in the ballpark of maybe one to two of them to give you their email. So there's a lot of room for improvement there. So the second that I'm about to talk about right now, this one's the most common. This is probably the one that most people listening are used to. And it's some kind of discount code or coupon. It's typically in the form of a percentage off or a dollar off. So let's say 10% off or $10 off as an example. So with this, we're typically seeing in the ballpark of about 5 to 10% conversion. So for every 100 people that visits the site, you can expect about 5 to 10% of those people or 5 or 10 people 
to actually give you their email. And then the third one, it's kind of like a, you know, less popular but growing in popularity one is what we call an enter to win. So enter to win our weekly giveaway, you know, enter to win our monthly giveaway, something of that sorts. And we're typically seeing in the ballpark of about eight to 12% of people giving us their email. So for every 100 people that visits the site, you can expect about eight to 10 or maybe 12 people to actually give you their email. So that's on that front. And there's a few other things that I want to mention. So for pop-ups in particular, ideally you're going to have two different forms. You're going to have one form that's optimized for desktop and one form that's optimized for mobile, right? We're obviously all seeing a lot of mobile traffic coming on. So we want to make sure that we also have a form that's optimized specifically for that experience. So my personal recommendation for timing. So when you think about behavior, there's a couple different ways that pop-ups and forms behave. They can be shown immediately when someone hits your website. They can be shown when someone scrolls a portion of your page. They can be shown when someone's on your website for a certain amount of time or upon exit intent. So for the desktop in particular, I like using exit intent. We found that exit intent to be the most effective, at least for our clients, on desktop. And the reason is customers seem to be most receptive to forms when they're being interrupted right before they're about to leave. So the exit intent kind of improves the overall experience by not showing it right away or not showing it too quickly. So exit intent is what we personally leverage on the behavior side on desktop. That being said, test immediate. Test some kind of page scroll. Test some kind of time delay. Test exit intent. Just because it works for me and my clients doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for yours. But through our data, that's what we're seeing. Do you have a favorite tool that you use for for all this as far as like the testing of the forms and the pop-ups and all that stuff? Yeah, so in terms of the pop-ups, it, it, it varies. So sometimes in the the tool that you're using for sending, they have a form. A lot of times those are anywhere from decent to okay. Um, there definitely are better ones. There's ones out there like Privy or Just Uno or WisePops. Those are kind of some of the popular ones in e-commerce. Yeah, or Optin Monsters also one we use. So I got a quick question for you here related to this, specifically on the discount codes. So many of us are marketers, right? And we are selling something, right? Maybe we're selling a course, maybe we're selling a conference, maybe we're selling a widget. And if you do an exit intent, like as they're leaving on the desktop discount code, have you found that that has a material impact on sales? Or have you found it's just a way to grow the email list? I'm curious. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of both. And I think and I'll tie that into kind of a, the enter to win and the discount. So when you hear the enter to win, the 8 to 12%, most people immediately think, oh man, I need to do that to collect the most number of emails. That's going to be great. What we found there is, sure, you collect a lot of emails, that's great. But the attribution window in which someone actually converts is a little bit drawn out. So they typically wait a week or a month to actually purchase once they see whether or not they've won. Whereas with the actual discount code or offer, we see the, the usage or kind of the utilization of that being a lot sooner. People will either get the code directly within the confirmation of that form and or within the email. And then they'll use it, you know, first hour, the first day, first couple of days. So yeah, we are seeing a lot more utilization of that code through the pop-up than we are when we wait for people to actually use some kind of giveaway and then make them an offer. Does it need to be a substantial discount or can it be just any kind of discount can seem to work? Or what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I would start at 5%, right? Okay. 5% is really not that exciting, but that at least gives you a baseline. So a 5% offer, start there. And then if you can, A-B test that against a 10%, right? What's the increase in conversion? Or maybe there is no increase in conversion between 5 and 10%. What we've seen is there is you know, an increase in conversion, but that extra 5% off does that back out the math in terms of revenue. 
In most cases, we are seeing it to be true just based off the, the lift in performance. But I would start with 5% and then increment up to 10%, you know, maybe test 15%, but 10% seems to really be that sweet spot for us. Sweet. Okay. And by the way, this has been awesome. So let's talk about, we've got some emails, okay? Maybe some of them are customers. Maybe some of them are prospects. Talk to me about email sequences. I know you've got a couple of ones that everybody you believe should be using. So let's go through those. Awesome. Yeah, great question. So I want to first start by naming the core ones. And then I promise I'll dive into as many as you'd like. And it's important like when I talk about this and when I think about this and structure it, I think about these in two buckets. One is pre-purchase and then the other one is post-purchase. So starting with pre-purchase, I'm just going to name these off and then I'm going to go kind of deep into a couple of them. So on the pre-purchase side, we have a welcome series for non-buyers. We have a back in stock, a browse abandonment, abandoned cart, and abandoned checkout. And then on the post-purchase side, some of the core ones are customer thank you, customer review request, a customer win back, a breakup series, and so on. So those are kind of you know the main core ones, but let's talk about three. So there's three that I always personally start with and build for my clients first, and that's the welcome series for non-buyers, the abandoned checkout, and some basic post-purchase. So starting with the welcome series, these first few emails that your you know subscribers receive are some of the most important messages of the entire customer journey. These really help your subscribers get accustomed to engaging with your brand, and they really set the tone of the entire relationship. So we typically here follow a four-part email sequence. And at any point in this sequence or series, if someone converts, we end up pausing this flow or this automation, and we move them into a post-purchase. And that's done through like a flow filter. Most ESPs, email service providers, have that functionality available. So the first email is going to be a welcome and a thank you, and delivering any kind of discount code or offer, if applicable. So again, going back to the pop-ups, if we promise someone a 10% off discount code, this is the email where we're going to want to deliver that discount, you know, welcome 10, you know, whatever the discount code might be in this email. So welcome, thank you, offering the discount. Email two is really going to be centered around the brand story, any kind of unique quality standards, and really the benefits of shopping with your company. So this email is really in the customer's mind going to answer for them. Well, great. I know who you are now. What's in it for me? right? Why should I care? How are you different? What does that look like? From there, email three is going to be leveraged all around social proof and displaying popular products. So social proof comes in many different shapes and sizes and forms. Ones that we focus on are things like customer reviews or testimonials, any kind of press, you know, mentions or endorsements, any kind of celebrity or influencer endorsements, any kind of retail footprint. So we're in, you know, 100 Nordstrom's, we're in Whole Foods, whatever it might be. And then we want to display any kind of popular products that people should start with or check out. And then last but not least, in email four, if we haven't got them to convert, we really want to focus on the community element. You know, follow us on social, join our Facebook group, join our Slack group, whatever it might be. So those are really like the four emails that we send kind of in that welcome series. Does that make sense? Yeah, I've got a couple clarifying questions. Some of us have a free offer on our website, like get a free ebook or something like that. Would it be the same sequence, whether you are getting an ebook versus a coupon discount code? Is the concept the same? Yeah, you obviously would have to tailor it a little bit. But if you're doing like a free course or a free ebook with the ultimate goal of selling, let's say, a paid newsletter or a course, you would want to, you know, educate, nurture, make sure that they feel like you're trustworthy. Right. You might mention, hey, we have this many social followers. We've had this many people go through our paid programs. Here are some of the places X, Y, and Z that we've been featured. So you could tailor a lot of those types of things to, you know, SaaS, B2B info. Um, instead of saying something like, here are, here are our popular physical products, hey, most people start with 
course, you know, A, and then they move to B and they move to C. So a lot of this stuff I think is pretty applicable across industries. Okay, cool. So you said there were two others you wanted to zoom in on? Yeah. So the next one we want to talk about is the abandoned checkout. And this is different than the abandoned cart. So if you think about like the customer journey in e-commerce, starting at the top where the most number of people are going to be, someone is on your homepage or your website. And then if they're interested, they're going to be looking at some kind of category or collection page. And then they're going to be looking at hopefully an individual product or individual products. Then they're going to be hopefully adding to cart, starting to check out, and ultimately making the purchase. And each step in the funnel introduces friction, which you know basically reduces the number of people to make it from the top through the bottom, which is ultimately purchasing. So the abandoned cart is for people that are already on your list that add to cart, don't start checkout, and don't buy. Whereas what I'm talking about right now is furthest down the funnel right before where people buy, the abandoned checkout. And these can either be A, people already on your list, or B, people that complete a portion of your checkout that happen to leave their you know, email and or their phone number, anything else. We're going to want to send this email. And by doing this, it's going to help us recover and kind of convert our most engaged visitors. Right? These are people that are so close, we just need to push them over the edge. They have very heavy consideration. We just need to get them to convert. So right, it's a follow-up sequence added that's sent out to these people. And we're going to want to do a couple things. We're going to want to start here with a two-part email sequence. Some people might be in their mind saying, how in the world am I capturing that email in the checkout form? Because a lot of us have a one single form. You know what I mean? Where you have to put in your name, email, credit card, all in one form. How in the world does that email get processed? You know what I mean? If they don't hit like place my order. Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, that's a good question. So I guess then essentially like with people that add to cart, those people for you to send them an email already have to be on your list. If you have this one page checkout where, you know, the only way for them to get on your list is if they convert, then you would just basically focus on people that add to cart, start checkout, but don't buy. In in our use case, most people are leveraging something like say like a Shopify or a WooCommerce, where there's typically like a two-part, you know, checkout process. The first part is things like name, address, phone number, email. And as soon as they click like continue, we're capturing that information. And then from there, right, if they if they don't fill out shipping or if they do or if they don't purchase, we at least have that page one of info. So I know kind of having the one page checkout obviously probably helps conversion because there's less steps. But if there is a clever or interesting way to be able to integrate at least getting someone's email, if they're not on your list, that might you know be worth looking into if you haven't tried that already. Cool. So assuming we have their email, what's the sequence and how is this sequence different than the abandoned cart? Because the abandoned cart is, is it similar or is it kind of different? They're not the exact same, but they are similar. Okay. I think, and I, the way I see it, the funnels, each step of the funnel is supposed to move a person from, you know, A to B, B to C, and ultimately getting them to Z, which is checkout, right? So really the goal of the abandoned cart is to get someone to come back and actually start the checkout process and that they purchase. Great. That's even better. So the, the goal of the abandoned cart is to get people to start the checkout. And the goal of the abandoned checkout is to get people to actually convert. And if they could do both, great. So when I think about, you know, email and its purpose, right, the whole goal is to drive, in my mind, like the click or the next thing. And then you let the website or the landing page actually drive the sale. So email is kind of similar in that step with these funnels. So the first email that we kind of show them here in, in e-commerce, at least in particular, is really just showing the customer of the, the item or the items that they left behind. And if you could showcase trust and credibility, again, through forms and testimonials, that's even better. So just having something here is way better than nothing. So you can just keep it simple, reminding them of what they left behind. And one thing I think I'll mention that's really important is wherever someone drops off in your funnel, you want to send them back to that spot. So if someone has viewed a product but hasn't added to cart, you want to drop them back to that product they looked at. 
you don't want to take them to the home page and make them start over. If someone has abandoned their cart, you want to take them back to their cart page. You don't want to take them to the product page or to the home page, right? And if people have started checkout and they don't buy, you want to take them back to their checkout. So within all these funnels, like the links that we're using are highly specific to where someone is or isn't. So that way we can make sure it's one step or two steps. It's not having to have them start all the way over. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I would imagine this is easier for Shopify users than other users, right? Because they probably make this easier or am I making assumptions that are incorrect there? No, you're absolutely right. Like for, for us with what we, you know, I'd say 99% of our customers are on Shopify. We have some that are, you know, WooCommerce and whatnot. Yeah. Cause I don't think WooCommerce a lot. I don't think WooCommerce has that capability because that's, that's what we're using. <laughs> yeah. Woo- WooCommerce, at least from my understanding with the email platform that we use, you can't do some of these custom actions on like added to cart. You can do the checkout one. So some of these ones in WooCommerce are a little bit limited right. or Shopify, which is most of the e-commerce ecosystem at this point, um, has a lot more kind of capabilities and functionality. So what's the re-engagement rate, if you will, on these abandoned checkout things? Like, is it pretty high conversion? Yeah. So in terms of, and I'll talk about the second email after, but in terms of like what we're seeing around like open rates and click throughs and conversions, obviously, you know, it, it varies whether we're giving a discount or not, the the AOV, a lot of these metrics. So it, it depends, but it's not uncommon to see 40, 50, 60% open rates. Wow. And it's also not uncommon to see three, five, 8% click throughs, right? So these people are, are really your best people outside those that have purchased. And some of these people have probably purchased potentially in the past as well. So the engagement is, is, is really high. So each step of the funnel, like the browse abandonment, you might get some good opens and some good click throughs, but you're going to have lower conversion. And then the abandoned cart is going to have slightly better performance than the browse abandonment. And then this abandoned checkout, which we're talking about, will have slightly better performance than the abandoned cart. Just because, again, the more info that people have, the more engaged they are, the more steps that they've taken, the more likely they are to have some kind of serious intent or, or interest. And that takes us to then the second email. So if someone doesn't convert on that first email, the second email, we're going to want to educate customers again on what the company stands for. So similar in some sense to what we talked about in the welcome series, really showing customers like what they're missing out on and why this company is so great. And hopefully by encouraging them and educating them, this will encourage them to complete their order. And we also want to dynamically show them the product or the products that they left behind. Awesome. So we've talked about the welcome for non-buyers sequence. We've talked about the abandoned checkout sequence. And it sounds like you could make a variation of this for abandoned cart. You said there was another one you wanted to zoom in on? Yeah. One more that I want to talk about is kind of some basic post-purchase, right? So the welcome series was focused on pre-purchase. The abandoned checkout was focused on pre-purchase. Now I want to talk a little bit about post-purchase. So the overview kind of of this customer thank you basic post-purchase email is really showing appreciation for our customers by saying thank you. And this is going to help us strengthen our bond and really reduce kind of the buyer's remorse. And then if we could provide them with any kind of education about the product or products if needed, that's great. Think about things like supplements or any kind of expensive product or maybe hair care or makeup, right? It kind of requires some education while customers are waiting to receive it. And then if we can, you know, again, educate them and teach them how to use it, that's going to be great. And providing them content, feedback, those types of things are really important here. So the first email in the sequence is just a basic customer thank you. We're going to show genuine gratitude and kind of validate their buying decision. And so one example, so we are working with this company, they sell a weighted blanket. And these companies sell this product $200, $300, $400, right? So it's an expensive product. And what we noticed is that a lot of people were hitting up support when they got the product saying, how the heck do I use this? Is it working? What's going on? 
So after seeing you know hundreds and hundreds of support tickets come in, we basically combine a customer thank you with a product education email saying, hey, there's three main ways that you use this calming blanket, this uh, weighted blanket. The first is use it like a warm hug. And then we kind of talked about like how people use that and what that looks like. The next is, you know, sleep with it, right? It's going to be cozy, comfortable. There's actually psychology and science that talks about, you know, the weight and how that's going to make you feel better. And then use it to like, you know, hold and kind of ground yourself, right? And, and I'm kind of probably butchering those three, but giving people three ways in which they use it and explaining the how and even using things like photos and videos to demonstrate that just by doing that alone, that cut like support, like we had like 25 or 30% less customer support tickets um, of people asking if, like if this is working or how to use it. So we wanted to get ahead of it and teach people while they're waiting how to use it. Okay. So I love this. First of all, I'm assuming you're sending a thank you for your purchase immediately after the transaction. Are you actually combining that with the receipt in one message and a transactional message, or is that like a additional message beyond the receipt? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I want to talk actually really quickly about the three types of emails, because that's going to be important to what I'm about to say. So the three types of emails in my own terminology, there's a campaign, which is a one-time send to a group of contacts. Think about a product launch or a holiday offer. The next is a flow or automation. That's an automated email that takes place based off of some kind of action or behavior or event. And that's exactly what we've been talking about. Someone adds their email to a pop-up that triggers the welcome series. Someone's on your list, starts checkout, doesn't buy, that triggers the abandoned checkout. And the last one is what we call a transactional email. And Michael, that's really what you're talking about with like the order confirmation. So the transactional email is much like the automated email or flow. It's all things that just take place after the purchase that come typically from the Shopify, the WordPress, the WooCommerce, those types of things. So what we typically do is day zero, which is the day that someone buys, we send them the order confirmation email from Shopify. Typically, we'll go in and we'll make the email look prettier because a lot of times those are kind of funky looking. Um, if someone's on Shopify Plus, you can actually go into whatever email platform you're in, design the email there, and turn it off within Shopify. Again, you have to be on Shopify Plus for that to happen, though. Most people are just on Shopify regular, so that might not be that helpful. So day zero, the order confirmation. So day one, which is technically 24 hours later, is when this customer thank you email is being sent. Ah, okay. So you could send it two hours later if you wanted to, right? Depending on how fast the product is going to get there, right? Like if it's an uh, if it's an electronic product that they're going to get like in a matter of minutes, you probably want to send it almost immediately, I would imagine, if there was such a thing, right? Yeah, exactly. I think for physical products, you know, the day zero, the day one, and then other days, you know, shipping confirmation, things like that, that's better. And I think things for like info and eBooks and courses, yeah, doing it the same day and, and relatively quickly, I think it should be totally fine. So the education on how the product is used is sent like a day after the thank you and the thank you is sent a day after the receipt is what I'm hearing you say. So it's like day zero, day one and day two. Yeah, exactly. And you could combine the thank you and the education email if you wanted. Now, is there any other parts of the basic post-purchase process other than the ones we mentioned or have we covered that? There's two more that I want to quickly talk about. One is a product review request. And there's kind of an interesting way that we're actually doing this with some of our customers that I want to talk about. So there's like the normal product review request, you know, leave a review on our website, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? You need some kind of base level reviews on your website. But I think once you get to a point in your website where maybe you have 50 or 100 reviews, any additional reviews, I'm sure they help, but there's probably diminishing return. So what we basically do is after we have some kind of minimum threshold, we'll start actually sending people to leave their feedback on a Facebook ad. So every single month, we'll rotate in and out a different Facebook ad for people to leave feedback on. So we're prompting people to leave um, or like it, comment, 
you know, leave a photo, leave a video, doing something on the Facebook ad. Because by us, obviously, you know this, I'm sure a lot of your listeners would as well, by sending a lot of social proof that's positive to these ads, we're able to drive a little bit more click through, which is ultimately reducing our cost of acquisition because, you know, Facebook likes it more and the score is really good. So we're rotating that in and out every single month. And it's been incredible just to see, you know, dozens and dozens and sometimes even hundreds of customers leaving positive reviews on like these Facebook ads on a weekly, if not monthly basis. I'm assuming you're sending them to a post that you've turned into an ad, right? Because I don't think yep. you can directly link to an ad. Is that kind of yeah, how you're exactly. doing it? Okay. So just out of curiosity on the, on the product review request, sometimes do you send them to a form, like a Google form or a SurveyMonkey or something to gather that data, if you, especially if it's a new product? So we definitely do. So there's, I guess, depending on like the customer, depending on, you know, how much stuff they have or don't have, like our, I guess our priorities typically are making sure there's enough social proof on the actual, you know, website, right? Making sure that each one has, each product or collection has 50, 100 reviews. Then from there, because Facebook and Instagram are so crucial to our acquisition as e-commerce brands, we're sending a lot of traffic to leave the reviews there. And then over time, we'll ask people, hey, you know, what did you think about this specific product? Is there anything that you did or didn't like? So we'll do kind of specific product reviews that we're either trying to do like a v, V2, V3, um, trying to get their feedback and, you know, where they found us from, you know, post-purchase attribution, things like that. What about net promoter score stuff? Do you know what that is? Yeah, so we we truthfully don't do a ton of MPS. I'm familiar with it, yep. but we honestly don't do a lot of it right now. So for those that don't know what that means is if you've ever gotten an email where it says, how likely are you to suggest this to a friend, one to 10, or smiley face, not smiley face, you know, that kind of thing. That's that's essentially what that is, just to kind of get a sense of it. Okay, so the after the product review, you said there was one more thing. I don't think you got to it. What was it? Yeah, the last thing that we do is we really just want our customers to really be ingrained in our community. So um, again, going back to kind of what we talked about in the welcome sequence, we want people to join our Facebook group for buyers. We want them to follow us on Instagram and turn on post notifications. You know, we want them to hit reply and let us know if they have any questions or if they could, you know, we could do anything for them. So we really want like to get them further ingrained in the community. And we're taking advantage of that in the post purchase after they've used the product and hopefully liked it just to get them to be involved in all of our channels. Okay. By the way, this has been solid gold. This next question I'm most excited about. Okay, we've got a list of customers, right? How do we get these people to buy more of our stuff? <laughs> this is where the magic of email really comes in, right? Yeah, and there's there's two things that come to mind. Uh, I think the first is going to be applicable to mainly everyone and anyone that sells more than one product or SKU. And that's going to be the upsell and cross-sell, which I promise I'll talk about in one second. And then the next one's going to be applicable more to people that have some kind of topical or replenishable product uh, a protein bar, a supplement, hair care, skin care, whatever it might be. And that's going to be called a replenishment reminder, where every single month we're going to remind people to reorder. So let's talk about the kind of cross-sell and upsell. And for the, the sake of this conversation, I'm going to use those pretty synonymously. Those are going to be kind of similar. Obviously, the upsell right is selling products to people that are of a higher ticket price. And a cross-sell is selling products to people that are of similar price and, and whatnot. And I guess a downsell right is selling people a product that's cheaper. But for the sake of this, I'm going to focus more just on the fundamentals of selling more products to customers versus focusing on the price. So post-purchase, you know, is the goal and really the, the focus on selling to people that are existing and current customers. And it's night and day easier, as we already know, to sell an existing customer something new or something different than it is for us to take someone that never has purchased and try to get them to buy. And one thing that we've been testing um, for the past couple of months and even for some of our clients for the past year is what we call a thank you plus immediate cross-sell or upsell. So what we do is for first-time buyers, 24 hours after their purchase, we send them a thank you and kind of a special unique discount code 
that cannot be found anywhere else. That's 100% unique to them. So it doesn't end up on a coupon website. And it's typically a really attractive offer. So while we're kind of fulfilling the item, we want to try to get them to buy again from us. And for a client whose account I was in today, they do eight figures a year. I'm not going to name their name, but they sell jewelry. And this one automation alone of just saying thank you and doing an immediate cross on upsell 24 hours later has generated them $262,000 in revenue this year alone. Just for clarification, is this kind of like, hey, thank you so much for your earring purchase. Customers like you also tend to purchase this. Here's a coupon, something along those lines. Yes, exactly. We're, we're, we're like basically leveraging the product that they purchased or the products that they've purchased, the items that they've viewed or the collection that they viewed. And we're able to dynamically show people. So, hey, if you bought product A, you might also like products B, C, and D. And I think the best example that we're all going to know is Amazon, right? When you're on Amazon on a product page or even purchasing something, the amount of data that they know around things that we might like or things that are typically purchased together is crazy. So, I think Amazon is probably the best use case of like how that's actually done on product pages and even, you know, post-purchase. Oh yeah. Especially when you get to the checkout page, you'll see it right there, right? It'll say others, well, maybe not to the cart, but yeah, it'll say others also like you bought this product, right? And then, you know, it's like, oh, I, I'm buying a tripod and I forgot about this extra thing, (laughs) you know, something along those lines, right? Exactly. And, you know, you could even go to the use case and sometimes like a lot of the ESPs will be able to see what these people like or viewed or you can even kind of set up rules where you can recommend products. But in other cases, we might even have two separate flows or automations where if someone we deem to be a male or a female, and some of these email tools have like this predictive analytics on gender, and they basically use census data to basically say, hey, the name, you know, Chase probably is, you know, a, a male, right? So, right. or the name Lindsay is probably, you know, female, right? Or, or whatever the name is, Veronica is a female. Michael and, and is probably Mike, a male. Michael's a, yeah. Right, exactly, is a guy. So you could leverage some of that data and also the, the data around like, what are these people, what did they buy? Did they buy from a men's category, a women's category? Did they buy from both? And in that way too, you can make really specific recommendations based off of gender. Again, that's not always right because sometimes, you know, women buy for men and my, men buy for women. But in a lot of cases, people, you know, fall into that bucket and you can always default, oh, you know, if these weren't interesting, then you could show women's if you're targeting men and, and vice versa. So you, you're exactly right. That's exactly how we do the cross-sell and upsell. And it's, it's usually fairly successful. So you do it almost immediately after purchase. There are other ways to do it, I would imagine, right? You don't just have to do it then, right? Yeah, the, the immediate after purchase is something that we've been testing with a handful of our clients. So we've been rolling out more and more as we're seeing, you know, it consistently work for brands, at least in certain categories. Other times to cross sell and upsell, right, is like going back to the post-purchase we talked about before, right? There's like the customer thank you. There's the education or the review request. And then there's like the joining the community. You know, we might say, this person has been on our list for a month. We've been sending them these post-purchase emails. We've been sending them these ongoing campaigns. They haven't bought for us. So at that one month of them not buying, we want to make sure that we get to them before they lapse, right? Maybe around that month two, that day 60, that that day 90. Maybe that's when if they don't buy from us again, they have the potential of lapsing. So we want to say, hey, at day 30 or at day 45 before they lapse, let's really try to give them some kind of attractive offer. Maybe it's a free product with purchase. Maybe it's a good discount on this bundle, or maybe it's just a you know good discount on a new product that they may be interested in. So we'll want to hit them you know later on, if not immediately, so that way we could try to reel them back in. Well, and I would imagine if there's certain seasonal stuff that you sell, like for example, I don't know, I mean I can't think of it, but let's just think of ha- Halloween, okay? So if you know that someone bought something for Easter 
you might want to also around Halloween, follow up with those people and try to cross sell them. Let's say it's decorations, right? You might want to cross sell them. I don't know. I'm just thinking, you know, or if they bought Halloween stuff, you might want to cross sell them Christmas stuff. I'm just thinking creatively later, right? Exactly. And another use case, I guess, that I think about is like we have a client that sells like mattresses, but they also sell like pillows and bedding and sheet, right? Where it's like, hey, you bought the mattress from us over the holidays. Now that it's a new season, uh, why don't you change your sheets to be lighter for the spring? And hey, you know, you've had these sheets now for a couple months. Like, why don't you buy this new pair, right? So I think with, you know, what you mentioned, right? Something that's specific to a, a time of the year or a holiday. That's a great use case. Say maybe you sell socks, for example, and you sell like holiday themed socks for Halloween and then Christmas comes around or Hanukkah comes around or whatever the holiday is that someone's celebrating. Maybe you sell them the newest, latest and greatest, you know, theme pair for that specific occasion. Yep. And then again for New Year's, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Anything else on the upsell, cross-sell replenishment stuff? Yeah, I want to talk about the replenishment. So I mentioned this briefly before, but this is really great for folks that sell something like a protein bar, hair care, supplements, pre-workout, something that people are going to have to consume and you're going to know their cadence, right? So this basically is an automation that you set up and you're going to configure the time frame to be sent out right before someone needs it. So let's use the case of a multivitamin, right? Let's assume most months have 30 days or 31 days. Most people, right, are going to run out in that 30-day period. So at say day 25, we're going to want to send, hey, Michael, you know, saw that you ordered this, you know, about three and a half weeks ago, wanted to make sure that you re-up and reorder so that way you don't have to go a day without taking your multivitamin. You know, click here and oh, by the way, here's a 10% off discount code on this purchase, you know, enjoy, right? So just a really great automated way to remind these people to re-up and to rebuy from you. And it's kind of a crossover between like a post-purchase email and like an abandoned cart of sorts, where it's similar to like the abandoned cart where you kind of keep the replenishment equal email focused on the product. But this way, you're kind of focusing on winning them back and you're trying to get them to restock. So, you know, I think simple copy, the product imagery of the, whatever they bought and the relevant details with a clear call to action will really go a long way in getting those people to rebuy from you. Obviously, assuming that the product quality was what you promised. What about annual subscriptions? I know so many people in my audience have subscription products, you know, some are monthly, some are annual. But there is some opportunity, is there not, especially with credit card declining and renewals and all that stuff on the annuals to do some proactive email campaigns? No? Yes? Like you're about to get charged again? That kind of yeah. thing? Yeah. A couple of thoughts. So like in terms of like the workflow for e-commerce and how I think about that. So we're trying to get someone through a campaign or some kind of automation to, to buy once, right? They buy once, then we're going to hit them with this replenishment reminder. And once they buy twice, we're going to then want to put them into like a subscription flow where the next time it's like, Hey, Michael, great. You bought twice from us now. You clearly love the product. We're so happy to hear that. Why don't you just subscribe and save? This way, every single month, we're going to send you your product on time. You won't have to think about it. You're going to get the best price of anyone else. You know, subscribe and save now, right? So that's what we'll do. And then when people cancel, we'll have different cancellation. So we work with this uh, company called Hydrant. They sell like these electrolyte kind of packets and drinks. And we, when people cancel, have like seven or eight different reasons that someone can select why they canceled. It's too expensive. I've got too much supply. Um, I don't like the flavor. You know, I don't like the taste. I'm not sure if it's working. And then for each of those cancellation reasons, we actually have an automation. Wow. So, you know, hey, it's too expensive. All right, yeah, no problem. If you want, here's our best discount price. If not, you know, come back to us in the future. Hey, I hate the flavor. Well, hey, you hated the flavor of raspberry. Have you tried lemonade? Have you tried blueberry? Have you tried pink lemonade or whatever it might be? 
or, um, hey, I've got too much supply. You know, no problem. You know, click here and let us know when we should follow back up. Hey, I've got supply for the next month. I've got supply for the next quarter. I've got supply for the next year. So we have all these cancellation reasons set up based on what someone indicates is their reason. Chase, I could talk to you for another hour. This has been solid gold. Tell people where they can discover more about you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this has been awesome. So thank you for everyone for listening. And Michael, thank you for having me. Three places. So first is I publish a really cool free email marketing newsletter every single Monday. And you can find that on chasediamond.com backslash SME. And again, there's no A in diamond. So it's C-H-A-S-E-D-I-M-O-N-D.com backslash SME. And then Twitter and Instagram. So on Twitter, I post daily email marketing tips and tricks. And my handle is Ecom Chase Diamond. Again, the diamond is without the A, it's D-I-M-O-N-D. So Ecom Chase Diamond. And then last but not least is my Instagram, which also has great email marketing content. And my handle is Chase Hunter Diamond. Chase Hunter Diamond, you are amazing. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all your insights. I'm positive people are going to be rewinding this and taking notes. Really, really, really appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Hey, there's a good chance you missed some of the things Chase and I talked about, but don't worry, we took all the notes for you. Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 475. Yes, we've done 475 episodes of this podcast. You know, if you're new to the show, be sure to follow this show. And if you've been a longtime listener, would you let your friends know about this show? I would love it if you would share it with them. If you want to share it on Instagram, I am at Stelzner on Instagram, S-T-E-L-Z-N-E-R. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. See you next time. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.